0: Open them, please, to the first gospel, the 18th chapter. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading with verse 15 through verse 20. On Sunday morning, we are in a sermon series entitled, Out of Context. We're looking at verses that you and I know very well. We've memorized them, and we often give them to other people to inspire other people, to encourage other people, even at times to reprove somebody or admonish somebody. And the problem is, though we're sincere, we take a verse out of context in order to do that. And if you recall last week, I told you that when you take a verse of Scripture... Out of context, it is a pretext to deception and destruction. As we talked about last week, using Adam and Eve as our illustration. We live in a day where people just want to read the Bible in snippets. We're a daily bread generation. Give me one verse and one paragraph and that's all I need. That's like feeding somebody a chocolate chip cookie every single day, and that's all you give them. They would starve. They would be malnourished. They eventually would fall over and die. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is meat and potatoes, and we need to feast on it. Not just take a bite here and a bite there. And so what we're looking at in this sermon series is verses that, again, we use. We we intentionally, sincerely use them to help people, and yet we don't really understand the context in which they came. And so what we're telling people is something that's not entirely true to how we're trying to apply it. Matthew chapter 18 beginning with verse 15. The words of Jesus to those that would listen to Him in His day. The words of Jesus to those of us who will listen to Him today. He's talking about, look at verse 15. This is the context of everything we're going to talk about. However, moreover, if thy brother in the faith If thy sister in the faith shall sin against you, trespass against you, go and tell them or her their fault between you and them alone. If they shall hear you, you have gained a brother. But if they will not hear you, then go back to them, And take with you one or two or more witnesses. That out of the mouth of these witnesses, every word may be validated or established. And if this does not work, they neglect to hear you. Tell it unto the church. But if they neglect to hear the church, let them be made as a heathen man or a publican. Truly I say to you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, says Jesus, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now pay attention to verse 20. Because this is a verse that's often used out of context. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am, says Jesus, in the midst of them. Have you ever heard the word context to me? Context to me. You say, Pastor, is that one of your made-up words? (laughs) No, but it would be a good one to make up. But it's a real word. It's found in the dictionary. Context to me. And what it means is this. It means to lift a quote. To lift something that someone has said out of context. And in doing so, you change its meaning. Whether you do it intentionally, whether you do it accidentally, whether you do it knowingly, whether you do it unknowingly. Context to me. Lifting a scripture, lifting a quote, lifting a verse out of its context, and in doing so, you actually change the very meaning of what it was intended to say. Now, if you observe the secular world, the secular world does that all the time, particularly politicians. Not too long ago, a news reporter was talking to the CEO of a company in America. And she asked the CEO this question. She said, can you confirm This is the reporter speaking to the CEO of the corporation. She said, can you confirm the rumor that mass layoffs are going to occur in your company in 2018? Can you confirm the rumor that mass layoffs are going to come to your company in 2018? The CEO answered her question and he said this. Now listen carefully. He said there is no truth to the rumor that there will be mass layoffs in 2018. Listen. There is no truth to the rumor that there will be mass layoffs in 2018. Now, that reporter took what he said, and this is what she put in her article. CEO confirms there will be mass layoffs in 2018. Now, what did she do? She took what he said, but she chopped off the front end of it. She made him say what she wanted him to say so she would have a story slanted against the CEO and his corporation. In other words, she's guilty of taking something out of context for her own personal reasons. Now, what the secular world does, all the time, I might add, the religious world does as well. Because we're guilty of the same thing. We may not intend to be guilty, but we are. Suppose I said to you this morning, I believe I can do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. The Bible says I am to relax, to eat, to drink, and be merry. That's what the Bible says. Turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 19. That's what it says. Blame black and white. Take it easy. Eat as much as you want. Drink as much as you want. And party all night long. That sounds good to me. I'm going to follow the Bible because I believe in the Bible. Now... If you turn to Luke 12, verse 19, you'll notice that's exactly what it says. But what I've done is I'm not giving you the full story. I'm lifting the verse out of context because if you read the next verse, verse 20, we learn that somebody who has that kind of philosophy about life is a what? He's a fool. Once again... When you take something out of context, it is a pretext to being deceived and deception always leads to destruction. Now in our verses, I want us to understand what Matthew 18 verse 20 means. Because most of the time, whenever that verse is spoken of or it's used, It's used in regard to what? Prayer. It's always used in a prayer context. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Pastor, that's talking about prayer meeting. That's talking about God's people coming together and praying together. No, it's not. There's no harm in God's people coming and praying together. But that verse is not saying that. That verse is not about prayer. It's about peace. Notice the context of the verse. Go back to verse 15. Now keep your Bibles open. We talked about that last week. Bring your Bible, Following your Bible. The context of verse 20 is found in verse 15. If thy brother, if thy sister, if a fellow believer shall sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he shall hear you, you have gained a brother. If he will not hear you. Now look at verse 16. See if you see something similar here. If he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more witnesses. Wonder where they got that from. One or two or more witnesses, that out of their mouth they may validate what you are saying. They might establish what you are saying. And Matthew 18, beginning with verse 15 and going through verse 20. The context is disagreement between a Christian brother and another Christian brother. A Christian sister against another Christian sister. And what the Lord wants whenever he has two children who are in disagreement. He wants the disagreement resolved. He wants reconciliation between the two parties. He wants there to be peace. He is a God of peace. And He wants peace. And so, what He does is He gives us a process by which that peace can be found. It's a threefold process, if you look at verse 15 and go through verse 20. Now, let's look at the process. Because maybe you're here this morning. And you're at odds with a brother or sister in Christ. There is a disagreement between the two of you. Maybe one of you has sinned against the other. You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something that you shouldn't have done. There is now a separation. There is a stress. There is a strife between you. And God wants it resolved. It's not about who's right. It's not about who's wrong. It's about establishing peace between two brothers, two sisters in the household of faith. That's what it's about. Notice the process now that is going to unfold. This is what we're to do. This is not my opinion, nor yours. This is what the Word of God says. In verse 15, where there is a disagreement between you and another over something that has been said or done that was slanderous or hurtful to you or possibly to them. And you're the culprit, Faith, Notice in verse 15, the first process to try to settle all of this is a one-on-one meeting. A private meeting, if you will. Look at verse 15. If thy brother shall trespass against you, Sin against you. Say something about you that is wrong. Do something to you that is hurtful. You go and tell him his fault. Go to him and tell him alone what has happened. If he hears you, the matter will be resolved and you will have gained a brother. Pastor, I'm mad at so and so. They said something about me they shouldn't have said. It was slanderous. It was an outright lie. They've done something to me that was hurtful and painful. What am I supposed to do, Pastor? I'm glad you asked the question. You are to arrange a private meeting with them. One to one, you and them. Now this is about a matter that's sinful. It's not something trite. It's not something that is irrelevant. Most differences between people are more personality traits or pet peeves or personal preferences. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about when somebody has said something about you that is slanderous, it's, it's outrageous, it's outright lie. Or they have done something to you Deliberately to hurt you or to cause you pain. When that occurs, it's our responsibility to take care of it. We're not talking about annoyances. We're not talking about aggravations. The Bible says we're to overlook annoyances. We're to bear aggravations but we are talking about sin here. Somebody who has sinned against us, or perhaps we've sinned against them. And this is what we're to do. Look at verse 15. Jesus says we're to go to them and we're to tell them. Go and tell. That's what we're to do. In a private, one-on-one situation. We're to tell them there's a problem. The word go means we take the initiative. We don't just sit in the pew with a poochie lip and pout. We don't go and complain about it to other people. We don't hope and wish it'll go away. Somebody has said something about me that is sinful. Somebody has done something to me that's sinful. I take the initiative. I go to them. I go to them repeatedly. That word go isn't speaking of a one-time initiative. It's speaking of multiple times if necessary. The word tell is also an interesting word. It means the purpose in your going is not to argue... Not to shake your fist in front of their face. Not to kick them in the back of the tail. The purpose of you going is to tell them. That word tell means to seek understanding. Why did you say this? Why did you do this? What is this all about? How did this ever get there? It means to seek understanding. It means an explanation of the issue. And all of this is done one-on-one You and them. That's the first step. Now, why does the Lord want this to be the first step? Because He wants both parties to have clarity what the problem is. The one who has said it needs to understand I shouldn't have said it. The one who did it needs to understand. I shouldn't have done it. The one who has received the 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 slander, the one who's received the hurt, needs to try to have an understanding of why they did it. So there, there's clarity in this one-on-one meeting. It also limits gossip because you're going by yourself. You're not bringing your posse. Just you and them. No. No bringing the crowd. It minimizes hate. Do you know that anger that is not addressed because of what somebody says or does to you turns to bitterness and bitterness turns to hatred? And bitterness and hatred are like an acid. They will eat the container that holds them. And if you're holding them, they will destroy you. They don't destroy the person that you're angry with, you're bitter against, you're you're hateful of. It will destroy you. And also, when you have this one-on-one meeting, it's, it's cutting the legs out from Satan who seeks to take this disagreement, this dispute, and spread it through the church. And if this conversation works... And peace can come out of it. Reconciliation come out of it. Reform can come out of it. Redemption can come out of it. Then Jesus says you've gained a brother. That word gain is an interesting word. It means somebody puts money in your bank account. Suppose you got a note when you got home, somebody dropped a thousand dollars in your checking account. How would you feel? Man, you'd be strutting, wouldn't you? Man, you'd be excited. Well, when you have peace with your brother, where there was nothing but war before, God will drop something in your spiritual bank account. And you'll be strutting too. Now, I know some of you are saved. I can read your mind. I didn't tell you that, but I can. Some of you are saying, Pastor, suppose it doesn't work. Jesus is ready for you. Because if a private meeting doesn't work, I want you to look at verse 16. A private conference is the next thing. Instead of one-on-one, it will now be one-on-four or five: yourself and your witnesses. A private conference now. It's expanded a little bit. Look at verse 16. If he will not hear you, in other words, the private meeting doesn't work. There's still a difference. Then take with you one or two or more witnesses. And out of their mouths may the matter be validated and may the truth be established. a private conference bringing with you people who have knowledge of the dispute, disagreement, who have heard things that are pertinent to it, who have saw things that are relevant to it, who are willing to come to this meeting objectively and state, as a witness does, what I saw what I've heard, what I understand about the matter. Now this calling of witnesses, two or three or more, go back to verse 20. You notice what it says? Two or three, doesn't it? I'm tying it together for you now. But these witnesses that you bring with you to try to once again resolve the matter reconcile, bring peace. This comes from the Old Testament. It was part of the law of Israel. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for a sin. For any sin, for any sin requires the mouth of two witnesses or the mouth of three witnesses, so the matter shall be established. So the witnesses come, and they have become mediators. They become arbitrators. They become, if you will, referees, in a sense judges. And what they do is they try to say, well, you did say this, and it's wrong. You did do this, and it was hurtful. This is what you need to do to resolve the matter. You understand that? The witnesses verify the facts, they make objective comments, they try to keep the matter from escalating from verbal to physical. Now, I know what you're thinking, I can read your mind. One on one private meeting. It didn't work. What am I supposed to do, Pastor? Glad you asked. Private conference. One on five meeting. Bringing with you two or three witnesses of that group to validate and establish what is true in this matter and what needs to biblically be done. Suppose that doesn't work, Pastor. Suppose they're hard headed. Suppose they're unrepentant. Look at verse 17. If he shall neglect to hear the private meeting, if he shall neglect to abide by the private conference, you take the matter to the church. There is a public forum in the church that now will occur. And if he neglects to hear the church... Let him be treated as a heathen man or a publican. Wow. Now, I want to stress the fact we're not talking about pettiness. I don't like you because you don't wear your hair like me. Your laugh gets on my nerves, your smile's crooked. Your clothes don't match. Your parents are knuckleheads. I'm not talking about stuff that most Baptist churches fight over that absolutely means nothing. That's why we have First Baptist, Second Baptist, and Third Baptist, because they fight over the, the shapes of a chandelier or the color of a carpet. We're talking about serious stuff here. A sin that has been committed against another. A sin that from what can be figured out and determined was deliberate, it was intentional, it was meant to to slander, it was meant to hurt. A private meeting has not worked. A private conference has not worked. Now it goes to the church. The pastor, the staff, the leadership... And the people are now involved. Not in choosing sides. And bringing about resolution. Our God is a God of redemption and reconciliation. He's not a God of discord and division. If you want to be like our God, you be a peacemaker. If you want to be like the devil, you be a troublemaker. God is a God of peace. And the purpose of bringing it to the church is to establish peace between the two and keep peace in the church as a whole. We're not talking about a witch hunt. We're not talking about a lynch party. We're not talking about some theatrical performance where people stand up and give speeches so they can be seen and heard. We're talking about a mission by the church itself for redemption and reconciliation. And hopefully it will work. But if it doesn't, there's consequences after the third meeting. There's an old baseball adage, three strikes and you're what? Out. That's what he's saying here. The private meeting, one-on-one, has not worked. The private conference one to four or five with witnesses has not worked. The public forum where the church leadership and staff and people are now involved has not worked. Then there's a consequence. Verse 17, the consequence is the person who is guilty of the infraction, who has said things and done things that are unbecoming of a Christian, slanderous, hurtful, They're to be treated as a what? Look at verse seventeen. A heathen and a publican. And that day heathens and publicans could not go into the house of worship. And if somebody wants to persist in their slander and in their hurtful words and ways, they are shown the door of the church. They're outed. They're sent away. You understand that. They're dismissed. They're excommunicated. Now you say, well, pastor, they can just go join another church. And I guess they could. Nobody checks anybody who comes anyway most of the time. The devil can go from church to church. He never gets checked. But there's also more implication than just physical removal. There's also will be spiritual reproof. It is a serious thing, ladies and gentlemen, listen to your pastor, for a church to turn you out because of unrepentant sin. Not only are you physically being sent away from the church, you're spiritually being turned over to Satan. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, speaks of a man in the church at Corinth who would not repent of sin. The church sent him away. And the Bible says he was turned over to the devil. For the destruction of his body, but the preservation of his soul. So it's a very serious thing if you will not repent of your sin and you've been called upon to do so in a biblical process. Now in verse 18 and 19, you maybe you're wondering what in the world do these verses got to do with what he's talking about? Binding on earth, binding in heaven, loosening on earth, loosening in heaven. To agree, verse 19. What is all this talking about, Pastor? Listen to me, I'll tell you what it's talking about. Whenever we, individually, collectively, do things God's way, God will say amen to it and approve it. Whenever this process is followed, biblically, according to God's Word, God says what you decide on earth is the decision of heaven. Because what you're doing was already my word to start with. So there is an amen, an approval that comes from God when an individual says, I'm trying to make peace. A church says, we're trying to make peace. And God says, whether you make it or not, I amen you for what you're doing. And I approve the process that you're using to do it because you're following what I said. Now that brings us to verse 20, doesn't it, as we prepare to leave? Now are you following the context? Two people can't get along because one has slandered the other and hurt the other. The one who was slandered and hurt goes to the offender, has a private meeting, it doesn't work. The one who was hurt goes out and gets a few witnesses who have understanding of the situation. They sit down with the one who committed the acts. They try to work it out, it doesn't work. They take it to the church. The church as a whole gets involved. The one who's done the offense refuses to confess, refuses to repent, refuses to acknowledge he was wrong. And so they're outed and turned over to Satan, whatever that will mean. God says, Amen, they did it the right way. What they have agreed on earth, I agree with in heaven. Now, verse 20. I wonder who the two or three that he's talking about right there are. Think with me now. Have you heard you see you saw those two or three before, didn't you? Who are they? Come on now, you're smart. Who are the two or three now that are gathered together? The witnesses. What was the purpose of the witnesses? They were brought into the matter to try to bring about what? Reconciliation. To try to bring about peace, to try to settle the dispute. That was the reason they got involved. And these people who are trying to be peacemakers for the glory of God and for the good of the two people that cannot get along. Notice what Jesus says about it. He said, when they're gathered together in my name to try to keep the peace, I will be there in the midst of them. You want the Lord to be with you in a special way? You want to sense His presence as you've never sensed it before? Do you want to see His power unfolding out of you? Be a peacemaker. Get involved in trying to bring people together, not split them apart. Because our God is a God of peace. He gives us upward peace with Himself through Jesus Christ. He gives us outward peace with others, even difficult others, through Jesus Christ. He gives us inward peace with our own self through Jesus Christ. You listen to your pastor. Our God is a God of peace. As I said earlier, you'll never be more like our Jesus than when you're trying to keep peace. And you'll never be more like our devil when you try to stir up trouble. Where two or three are gathered together in my name for peace, for the sake of peace, rest assured I am in the midst of them. In closing, we have three kinds of people looking at me right now and looking at you right now. We have peace fakers. He's fakers. These are people who just don't want to get involved when there is a dispute that's threatening, threatening the discord, uh, threatening the church with discord and division. They're like the three little monkeys. They see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. They're oblivious to everything because they want to be oblivious. They're like the ostrich. They just stick their head in the sand and hope it all will go away. They're peace fakers. It's not so much that they want peace. It's just that they don't want any problem. So they just do nothing. It'd be kind of like if you were sitting in the middle of two children... And one is on one side and one is on the other, and they're hitting each other across you. And you just sit there. And do nothing. Well, by doing nothing, you're encouraging the escalation of the problem, the conflict. So there are peace fakers, and by the way, about ninety percent of the folks who sit in church are peacemakers. We just don't want to get involved. And all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Then we have a group of, and I hope you're not in these, but these are the peace breakers. They're Christian skunks who go around and spray people. Always spraying people with their slander, their hurt, They're not happy unless there's a stir going on. Y'all like that, didn't you? I didn't do that day 30. I just did it here. Aren't you glad you came? But peace breakers. And most churches have some of them. I mean, they're just not happy unless they're getting the Academy Award for keeping a stir going on. If you could trade church members, like they trade players on professional teams, I'd wrap them all up and send them to another church. There's peace fakers... There's peace breakers, but what the Lord wants us to be, and that's what this whole passage is about. He wants us to be peacemakers. If we have been hurt, if we have been slandered, He wants us to establish peace with the person who did it. If we're around others who are involved in such things, the Lord wants us to establish peace. He doesn't want us to take sides. He wants us to be on the side of truth, not on the side of A or B. He wants us to be to bring out a discussion of the wrong, to correct the wrong, to reconcile the wrong, to forgive the wrong, to make the wrongs right as much as we can. And when you and I endeavor to be peacemakers, we are showing ourselves to be the children of God. You say, where'd you get that? Jesus said that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Where two or more are gathered together in my name, who are trying to make peace in a world where there's so much war, who are trying to bring people together in a world where everybody's separated are trying to do something that's redemptive and not destructive Jesus says you can count on me being right there I will be with them." may God be with you and I may God be in this church heads are bowed and eyes